Well, hello, church. Thanks for joining us. I want to open up by sharing a story with you about my, my wife and I. Monica and I, we have a friend that we grew up with. She went to our old church, and when she grew up and got married, she married a guy named Leo. Her name was Stephanie, and Stephanie and Leo, after they got married, moved to Indonesia to, to do ministry. They were like missionaries where they would teach the Bible and, and preach the gospel. And Steph and Leo and their family would go to these villages in Indonesia and they would share stories with us and share with us that witchcraft and spiritual oppression was very prevalent in many of these villages that they would visit and preach the gospel to. One time they shared a story with me where they were at the house of a particular person in the village and they were guests in that person's house. And as they tried to teach that person the Bible and and expose them to Jesus and the gospel, there was a spiritual battle that was raging unbeknownst to them. The next day, the witch doctor of that village told the owner of that house that the witch doctor was trying to send evil spirits into the house to attack the Christians there to test how powerful their power really was. The witch doctor told the owner of the house, however, that the evil spirits returned back to him and communicated with him that they could not enter into the house. They could not penetrate the house because there was a large army surrounding that house. When Leo tells me the story... Leo tells me he is absolutely convinced that the Lord's angel army, a host of angelic army, was protecting them and surrounding that place that night. Now, if you hear this story and other stories that Leo and Stephanie would share with you about their experiences in Indonesia, you might find it a little hard to believe. You might question if it's true. I absolutely believe that it's true. I've actually seen video that Leo and Stephanie has shown our church where, for example, in one instance, there was this small framed Indonesian girl who made a contract with the witch doctor, giving her soul in exchange for supernatural strength. And so this evil spirit was given to her so that she would have supernatural strength. And in this video that I got to see, there were five grown adults trying to subdue her, trying to hold her down as she wrestled them off and she would be shrieking and screaming at the top of her lungs in this eerie demonic voice. I saw it with my own eyes and I believe without a doubt that it is true. There is a spiritual battle going on. Now, I share all this not to scare you. The rest of this message isn't going to be anything like what I just shared, but I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that there is a spiritual realm? Do you believe that there is a kingdom of light going up against the kingdom of darkness? Do you believe that the kingdom of Satan is at war with the kingdom of God? And I absolutely believe it because that is what the Bible teaches us. Now, here's the thing. When we grew up in church, Stephanie was just a normal girl like the other girls in our church. But when she married Leo and went to Indonesia, she all of a sudden became like the spiritual hero to us. Like because of all the spiritual warfare she had to engage in. And we, we, we told her when she had visited us one time coming back from the mission field, we, we said to her, Stephanie, we are so inspired by your faith. We're so encouraged 
that you would go over there, give your life to this, and, and face the spiritual warfare that you guys face all the time. And she responded to us in a way that I'll never forget. I'll never forget. She says, you're encouraged by me, by us. I'm encouraged by you. She says, where we are is very clear. It's, it's light and day that there's a spiritual battle. And we know without a doubt which side we need to be on. We need to give our life to Jesus because it is very dark. She says, well, I admire you guys here in Los Angeles because the spiritual battle rages here. And yet it's not always so black and white. It's not always light and dark. Sometimes it can get a little murky because the devil attacks in different ways. There's spiritual warfare through Hollywood and culture and media and social comparison and pressure to succeed and get the best education. And yet you guys have chosen to follow Jesus. You know where you stand and you walk by faith. I'm encouraged by you guys. And when she said that, I realized what she said is true. That no matter where you are in the world, there is a spiritual battle that is raging. And that spiritual warfare is a very real thing. And the way the devil attacks may look different in Indonesia than it might look in Torrance, California. Which might look different than it does in Okinawa, Japan. Which may look different than it does in London, England. And yet wherever the church is, we know that the devil wants to attack and defeat the church. I always like to say that the devil attacks often through different de-evils. The devil attacks through different de-evils such as doubt or deception or discouragement or demonism or despair or depression or division or through delusion. And the list can go on and on and on, but we know that all of these are attempts by Satan to defeat Christ and his church. But as we've been learning in this series, we who are in Christ will stand undefeated. We will stand undefeated if we put on Christ. I want to title this message today, The Lion, the Church, and the Wardrobe. The lion, the church, and the wardrobe. See, because First Peter tells us that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, someone to defeat. And I believe that the church, you Christians, are like prime meat. You are the prime meat of choice to this prowling lion. And yet you, church, you have been given a wardrobe to wear in wartime. And I believe when we put on the wardrobe that has been given to us, we will be able to stand undefeated. So I want to turn you today to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to give you some insight to this battle. And before we go to Ephesians 6, let's stop and let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Would you guys join me? And God, I pray that right now as we enter into your word, that you would protect us because we acknowledge that the devil doesn't pause so that we can listen to the word. He's actually going to be very active at this time. He will try to distract us. He will try to call us to the other room. He will try to blow up our phones. Whatever he can do to undermine Christ and get us to think about anything else but you. 
So Lord, I pray that right now you would free us from distraction. Help us to focus in, to zoom in on your word. And I pray that you would speak to us and that you would reveal that your Holy Spirit would illuminate truth, illuminate the schemes of the devil, illuminate the pieces, the armor that we have, illuminate understanding so that we would know you and trust you more and more. So God, we give you this time. Would you teach us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 6, this is where we're going to be today in today's study. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in Ephesus, to the Ephesian Christians, and he's talking about the spiritual battle that rages, that there are spiritual authorities and powers and demonic forces that are trying to affect them, that are trying to impact these Christians. But one thing you have to understand is that as Paul is writing this, he's actually imprisoned. He's chained up as he's writing this letter to the Ephesian Christians. Now, here's the thing. In those days, it was common for a prisoner like Paul to be chained up to a praetorian guard, which is basically a Roman soldier whose job is to guard the empire. And I could only imagine that as Paul is in his cell and, and he's chained up to this guard trying to write this letter and he's talking about spiritual warfare, I, I'm wondering if maybe Paul looks up and he sees this Roman soldier and he sees what the soldier is wearing and he gets inspiration to use his very armor as an analogy for the Christian. To let the Christian know that you too have an armor that's available to you as you engage in spiritual battle. I just imagine that Paul's thinking about this spiritual war and he sees the soldier and perhaps it was from that point he goes on to write in verse 13, therefore, Christian, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the with the belt, the, the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the and the breastplate, yeah, the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your, your feet fitted, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up that, that, that shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And yeah, that's right. Take the helmet of salvation and that sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I share this passage with you from Ephesians 6 because I want to expose some of the parts of the armor to you. I won't be able to get through all of it, but I want to show you parts of the armor because I believe that there are three specific de-evils that I believe the devil is trying to use to attack our church and the church worldwide today. And it's deception, it's depression, and it's division. Deception depression, and division. And I want to show you parts of the armor that we can be dressed with to stand undefeated. Now, my wife, her name is Monica. Monica and I, just a little insight to our marriage, uh, we are pretty competitive with each other when it comes to winning, especially with games and board games. We, we kind of go at it. And every time we play, we play to win. 
And when one of us wins, we'll make sure the other person knows that I just won. We'll, we'll kind of rub it in each other's face, playfully, of course, mo- most of the time, some of the time. We're pretty competitive, right? And so we're, we're always going at it. And lately we play this game called Seven Wonders. It's a, it's a pretty popular game these days. It's called Seven Wonders. And Seven Wonders is a game of strategy. One night we were playing Seven Wonders and Monica won that night. And that bugged me. That bothered me a lot. And over the course of that weekend, out of nowhere... Monica would come up from behind. She would come up and whisper in my ear, call me the eighth wonder. And she would just rub it in my face. It's like, oh, that's so annoying. I'd be randomly like folding my clothes. Call me the eighth wonder. She'll do this to me. She'll come up and whisper to me certain things that really affect me. Back in the day, a few years ago, she used to come up out of nowhere, out of the blue and whisper in my ear, you're weak. <laughs> and it's so weird how sometimes that would actually affect me, like psychologically, physiologically, it would affect. I'd be like working on something where I'm like exerting a lot of strength. Maybe I was like trying to open a jar. I'm using all my strength. And she'll come up to me and say, you're weak. And it's weird how like sometimes I would just feel my arms going limp as if I really was weak. It would affect me. I don't know how that happens. But it would get to me. Do you know that the devil likes to whisper things in our ears, whisper things to our soul that is deceptive and false? And I say whisper, not in that you'll necessarily hear an audible voice, but I say whisper because it's always very subtle, sometimes very quiet, yet it is deceptive and it can be effective. And here's what John chapter 8 verse 44 says. John writes of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's the father of lies. You know, a lot of people have stopped attending church during this pandemic For many different reasons, a lot of people have stopped going to church. But you know who hasn't stopped going to church? The devil. In fact, he might be the most consistent church goer among us. I believe he doesn't want to ever miss an opportunity to try to attack the church. Now, how does he attend church? I don't think he's sitting there from behind a computer screen or behind a TV screen or behind an iPhone watching the service. No, in fact, I think he goes to church and shows up on the other side of the screen. Because I believe with his deception, he'll do anything he can to infiltrate the pulpit and to fill it with lies and attacks on the truth. He's going to try to attack the truth from the other side of the pulpit. And so Ephesians tells us in chapter 6, verse 14, Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Then in verse 17, he says, and take with you the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So here's the first thing I'd love for you to write down if you're on your computer or you have a notebook in front of you. Write this down. The belt of truth and the sword of the spirit can combat deception. 
the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit can combat deception. Now, I want to show you the belt that a Roman soldier would wear back in the day. It's not one of these leather belts that maybe you and and I wear these days, but it was a thick band of leather that wrapped around the soldier's waist, filled with metal attached to it, and it would hang down in front of the soldier's groin area as a way to protect the soldier. But not only was it a form of protection, what was so important about the belt is also the fact that it would help the soldier carry that which was most important to him, and that is the sword. And for the Christian soldier, that is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The soldier's belt in the Roman times was attached to the sword. The two were always together. And for your armor, Soldier of God, your armor, it is true that the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, cannot be separated. Truth is found tied to God's word. God's word is founded in truth. And so here is what we have, and we need to make sure we have these two pieces of armor because the devil will try to deceive and whisper deception and lies in our ears. Now here's one of the greatest lies, and one of the most deceptive things that Satan can whisper to the Christian. He will say to us as often as he can, Jesus is weak. In other words, Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough. And he does this in many ways, but let me just give you one example of how the devil tries to convince us that Jesus is not enough. See, one of the most destructive lies the church has today is this wildly attractive false teaching called the prosperity gospel. And maybe you've heard that phrase before and you automatically know it's a false teaching, it's a false gospel. That's something you you would never buy into, but you would be shocked at how many millions of people all around the world have bought into it like literally have bought into it. They've given the, the little money or the, 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 the plenty of money that they have to subscribe to this teaching. And the prosperity gospel is this false gospel that teaches that the good news is found in the form of good health and good wealth. That God will give them riches if they would just give everything they have to that particular false teacher or to that ministry. That that if you would just give all your money that God will free you from your debt or he will free you from your disease. That God will give you the cars and the homes that you've always dreamt of. That God will cure your cancer or he will lengthen your legs. Just give to God and he will give you good health and great wealth. Now the deception is so subtle that some of you, as you hear this, may be thinking, well, Pastor Greg, is that so bad? Is that so bad to ask God for these things? Should we not ask of him for these things? And I want to say be careful because the deception can be so subtle, but the consequence can be eternal. It could be eternal when we are trained to believe that Jesus is good 
only when our health is good. And Jesus is good only when our wealth is good. And when our situations are good and our circumstances are good. The lie that's woven into this teaching is that the good news is in the gifts rather than in the giver. And we put our hope and trust in good things rather than a good God. Can Jesus give you material prosperity? Can he give you good health? Absolutely. Absolutely he can. Should we ask God to give us great wealth? Should we ask God to give us good health? Absolutely, why not? If anybody can give it to you, he can. But is God still beautiful? And is he still worthy? And is he still worth it? And is he still glorious even if we don't get these things? Absolutely. Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient and he is supreme. And whether we have these things or not, the true gospel will always exalt Christ and say Christ is enough. John Piper puts it so bluntly and yet so truthfully. Here's how he put it. He says, do you know what glorifies Jesus? When a car crashes into yours and your little girl goes flying through the windshield and ends up dead on the sidewalk and in that deepest place of pain, you're able to say with your soul, Christ is enough for me. He is good. He will get us through this. He is still my treasure. He is still my delight. He is still my satisfaction. That's what the gospel teaches. And so friends, when your mom dies, or when you lose your job, or when your spouse cheats on you, or when your friend has betrayed confidence, the truth that we have to have buckled around our waist is that Jesus is absolutely always sufficient for us. He is good and he is more than enough. And yet Satan will always try to deceive us and whisper, no, Jesus isn't enough. You need Jesus plus wealth. You need Jesus plus works. You need Jesus plus friends. You need Jesus plus performance. Jesus isn't enough. And I want to say, church, no, put on the belt of truth. Examine the sword of the Spirit. Because when you do, you will find that the gospel is the good news that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus Christ and Christ alone is sufficient for us. That is the gospel. And so the devil will try to defeat us through deception. And so put on your belt of truth, carry your sword of salvation, sword of the spirit. But another way that the devil will try to defeat us is not just through deception, but also through depression. Through depression. I was reading an article this week in the Washington Post about a father named Ted Robbins who's been grieving. 
ever since his 16-year-old son took his own life during this pandemic. His son's name is Christian. And in this article, after Christian had passed, Ted Robbins shares about how he discovered some things. As he was looking through Christian's computer, he found some writings, and he discovered through those writings just how hard of a time he was having because of this pandemic, how badly the pandemic was affecting him. Christian wrote about how because of the the coronavirus, he wasn't able to hang out with his three best friends on the weekend anymore, and yet those were the friends who really helped him deal with different bouts of depression in the past. And he was missing that. But upon further reading, to Ted Robbins' surprise, he discovered that his son Christian had been filled with all sorts of despairing thoughts. Christian wrote about how there was a voice inside of him that would whisper to him how worthless he was and how he wasn't liked by anyone. And I read that and I realized Christian was hearing this deceptive and depressing lie that often told him, you're not good enough. You're not good enough, Christian. You know what's interesting? This Christian has heard that voice before. And I wonder if you, Christian, have heard that voice before. And I wouldn't be surprised if you had. Oprah Winfrey has interviewed over 37,000 people so far. And here's what Oprah Winfrey says. She says something very interesting. She says, almost inevitably, every interview I do, the person always at the end of that interview will lean over to me and ask essentially the same question. And it's something to the tune of, hey, was I okay? was, Was that okay for you? She says, I've interviewed President Barack Obama. I've interviewed President George Bush. I've interviewed Beyonce. If anybody doesn't need affirmation, it's Beyonce. And yet she says, every single one of them will whisper to me after that interview, was I okay? Was that good enough? And I believe that all of us have that question, and I believe a lot of it is because of the deception from the enemy telling you, you're not enough. See, not only does he want to deceive you by saying, Jesus is not enough, he will also try to depress you by telling you, you are not enough. And I want to say to you, child of God, take your helmet of salvation, and get that on your head. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation. So would you guys write this down? Second piece of the armor I want to expose to you, the helmet of salvation can protect us from depression. The helmet of salvation can protect us from depression. Now this is the part of the armor that protects our head and our mind, doesn't it? It's the piece that we can put on to keep us safe from lies and attacks that try to attack our sense of identity and worth. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, here's what the helmet of salvation does. It reminds us of the truth of our very own salvation. And Peter tells us in verse 18, he says, 
For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so you read this, and I want to ask you, do you understand the price that Almighty God was willing to pay to purchase you? Peter's telling us silver, all the silver in the world wasn't going to be enough for you. All the gold in the world wasn't enough to purchase you. There was only one thing precious enough, and that is the perfect and precious blood of Jesus Christ, God's only son. And what does God say? He says, done. He says, that's a done deal. And he gives up his one and only son. And Satan wants to try to convince you that you're worthless, that you're not loved, that you're not accepted. I want to say, child of God, put on your helmet of salvation and block that garbage out. Put on your helmet of salvation and get rid of those filthy lies that try to penetrate our minds. The gospel of your salvation is proof that you are loved and you are valued by the one that matters most. The one who is above all else, almighty God. And so put on your helmet of salvation. And yet not only does the helmet of salvation provide a reminder that we are loved and and worth the highest price, but it also provides protection over our minds by reminding us of our eternal reality. It reminds us of our eternity. Francis Chan, I, I love this illustration that he gave years ago. If you've ever seen it, you probably haven't forgotten it because it's such an effective illustration. But he says, imagine that on on this ball of yarn, this string is kind of like a timeline. And every centimeter on this string is like 100 years. And you could unravel that timeline. And let's say it goes not just around this church building. Let's say it goes around the world and just keeps on going and going and going. And that represents eternity that we will spend with him if we are in Christ. Now imagine that this little centimeter of black that I used a Sharpie to mark is representative of the hundred years that you might have on this earth, if that. Maybe the 60, 70, 80 years that you live is represented here. And God says, man, I've given you all this because of what my son has done for you. I want you to enjoy eternity with me. I want you to enjoy being in my presence. I want to spend it with you. And yet the devil wants us to focus in on this. He wants us to to place our value, to find our worth, to get our identity, to, to, to set our priorities on this. And he'll try to get our eyes off of this with Jesus and the presence of our glorious God. And he wants you to, to focus on this and, and get this to depress us. And yet the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse chapter 3, verse 2 to 4, it says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, on eternal things, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so when Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you also will appear with him in glory. And so, friends, when we have our minds set on the eternal glory of heaven, then Satan cannot distract us and depress us with temporary lies. They just pale in comparison. And so when Satan tries to depress you with lies about your social position or your importance in the workplace or your rank among others or your lack of skill among your friends or or, or your popularity at school, all the earthly and temporary things, I want to say protect your mind. Put on the helmet of eternal salvation and remind yourself of the eternal glory that waits for us, the eternal glory that far outweighs anything this earth can offer. And so listen, what does that look like? Well, when the devil whispers, you don't have as many likes and followers as she does, put the helmet on and go, boom, oh well, I'm saved. And when the devil whispers, you don't make nearly as much money as you should be, boom, oh well, I'm saved. I will have mansions of glory and streets of gold. And when he says, your body doesn't look as good as hers, or your abs aren't as chiseled as his, oh, thank God, boom, I am saved. And one day I will have a glorified body. And when he says to you, yeah, but you have cancer, and you're not going to make it very long, boom, either way, I'm saved, and I will live forever. And I will be healthy and perfect in the presence of my king. I'm saved. And so when our minds are guarded by the truth of our salvation, then any lie that Satan throws at you will be overpowered and overshadowed and overwhelmed by your eternal reality. So child of God, put on the helmet of salvation. So we got the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit to combat deception. We had the helmet of salvation to combat depression. Let me give you one more piece of the armor for today. Would you guys write this down? Number three, the shoes of peace can protect us from division. The shoes of peace can protect us from division. See, because in Ephesians 6.15, Paul says this, and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We got shoes. You know, I was uh, cleaning up my garage recently, and I was shocked at how many shoes I have. Now, now I'm no preacher with sneakers. You'll never see me at that level. But I admit, man, I got more shoes than I realized, right? And I was cleaning out the garage. I realized, man, but they're, they're all important to me, right? Because, like, I got, I got shoes like these. These are my church shoes. When I want to dress up a little nicer than usual, I got, I got my church shoes, and I need that. And then, then I, got, I got these shoes, which are for my road bike, right? It got these little clips that clip into my road bike so I don't fall. That's important. I need those. And then I look in, I got, I got my baller shoes for when I want to ball it up with my friends. It's going to protect my ankles so I don't break them or, you know. Um, then I, I, got, I got these shoes. These are my booties for surfing uh, to keep my feet from going numb. 
So I got shoes for surfing. And then, then I got these pretty babies. These, these are for Sharon Lee's wedding coming up. Shout out to Sharon Lee, who's getting married next month, who leads our TNT missions ministry. And so I got those ready to go for the wedding. And I realized, man, I got all kinds of shoes to cover different occasions. Even today, I got my red shoes. We all need red shoes if you're going to wear a red shirt, right? Don't judge me. Like, nothing wrong with a little matchy-matchy every once in a while. But we got shoes for all occasions. What's in your shoe closet? And I'm wondering if, if your shoes are as important as the shoes that a Roman soldier would wear. See, because for a Roman soldier, his footwear was more important than any shoe I owned because his life actually depended on it. It depended on it. See, a Roman soldier's footwear was more important than my shoes because what it did was it kept them planted in the ground. It would have metal pieces Spikes even that would be woven into the soles of those shoes to give that soldier greater traction and stability as he fought. Kind of like cleats, right? And when I, when I used to read this passage and it says we should have the shoes fitted with the gospel of peace, I always took that to mean shoes that we're going to advance the gospel for, that's going to send us out preaching the good news, which I believe that is a biblical truth. The Bible does teach that, right? In Romans, it says, how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And yet, here in Ephesians 6, what's, what's the context of this passage? In Ephesians 6, Paul is talking about standing. We're talking about standing in the day of spiritual attack. And four times, Paul says, Christians, stand, stand, stand firm, stand. And so the, the word that Paul uses in the Greek language as he writes this verse out, it, it carries this meaning of standing in place, standing ready, standing prepared. And so he says, have your shoes with its cleats and all ready and planted so that when Satan attacks, you will not fall. Why is that so important? Because soldier all the other parts of your army, your breastplate, your shield, your sword, your, your, your belt is useless if you're on the ground laying on your back. None of this works if you're on the ground because you've fallen. So church, we need to stand. And if the church is at its best when we are standing and standing strong, then what in the world can cause the church to fall? I'll tell you what will cause the church to fall. Division. Division. And the devil knows this. Jesus taught in Mark chapter 3, verse 24 to 25. Jesus says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. I'm willing to bet the devil has memorized this passage. Because he will get the church to divide against itself so that it will crumble with any chance he has. And this truth must have spoken loud and clear to the Ephesian church, which had both Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles who historically were at odds with each other, who were divided based on their race. And the Ephesian church had slave men and they had free men 
who historically had been divided based on their socioeconomic status. And in the church in Ephesus, they had males and females who had always been separated in society based on their gender. And yet now that the gospel of peace has penetrated the city of Ephesus, the gospel of peace allows us to put on Christ and not only experience peace with God, but when we put on Christ, we now experience peace with others. And so in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, 28, Paul writes this, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You've put on Christ. What's the result? Well, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Is there any among us who are not at peace? Is there a group of people that you are at odds with? Is there a spouse right now that you are not talking to? Is there a son or a daughter that you need to receive forgiveness from? Is there a person or a different race or a different social status or a different lifestyle that you cannot stand? And if so, We cannot stand. We will crumble. We will fall. And so Christian, put on your shoes of peace. Stand on this right here. Let this be your shoe. Stand on the gospel and realize that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle is not against your employer or your employee. Your battle is not against your parent or your child. Your battle is not against your small group member. Our battle is against the demonic forces, the spiritual forces that war against the light. It is not okay for the household of Christ who have experienced mercy, who have received forgiveness, who have been made at peace with God to then go and live divided with the house of God. That cheapens the gospel and it weakens its testimony. That is not okay. And so listen, if you have a brother or a sister, biological or spiritual, that you are currently divided against, do not let the devil divide. Let the shoes of peace move you toward forgiveness and restoration so that you will not fall, but instead you will stand. And so here's the truth. We have the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit to combat deception. And we have the helmet of salvation to combat depression. And we have the beautiful shoes of peace to combat division. I want to I close with you by uh, sharing with you something that happened uh, to me not too long ago. I was mountain biking with some friends, and on that day, I happened to forget my elbow pads. I mean, I always wear my elbow pads, but that day, I forgot to wear my elbow pads. The wind was strong and blew my bike from under me, and I went sliding on the dirt gravel, and this is a picture that happened. Now, if you're, you know, if you get squirmish looking at, at, uh, injuries like scrapes, then I wanted to 
to turn you away for just a second, but this is what happened to me the day I didn't wear my elbow pads. And maybe as I've been preaching, you've noticed these scars all over me on my arms, and these scars are a painful reminder to me of what happens when I don't wear my elbow pads. It was kind of like that time a couple months ago when I forgot to wear my knee pads. I mean, I always wear my knee pads, like all the time, but that one day I forgot my knee pads, and on that day I took the worst crash I've ever had, and my knees were dripping with blood, and I had the gnarliest scars to remind myself of what happens when I don't wear my knee pads. It's kind of like that day when I forgot to wear my gloves. I always wear my gloves. But that one day I was riding with Rich up here in PV and I forgot my gloves. I said, it's okay, it's just a beginner trail. But my bike slipped and I I didn't fall, thank God, but I broke my fall by placing my hands down. But the problem is my hands went straight into some jagged rocks and my right hand was punctured and it was bleeding and in a couple days, bruised, and it was useless for those next few days. And I'm reminded what happens when I don't wear my glove. And we have this kind of this running joke among me and some of my riding friends. They say, the day you don't wear a particular part of your armor, the day you don't wear a particular gear, that is the day you're going to get injured right there. It's kind of like Murphy's Law. Right? Whatever bad can happen will happen. It's now become kind of like Greg's law because the day I don't wear my armor, that is where I get injured. Christian, the day that you do not put on the belt of truth and strap on the sword of the Spirit is the day the devil will try to defeat you with deception. And the day you do not put on the helmet of salvation is the day he will try to penetrate your mind and bring upon depression. And the day that you do not put on the shoes of peace is the day he will try to defeat you with division. Therefore, as Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Church, we have a lion that's ferocious. But church, we also have a wardrobe. And so put on your wardrobe daily because the war rages daily. And it is the armor of God. And in it, we will be able to stand undefeated. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, we really pray that we don't take these words lightly. Maybe this is a passage of scripture we learned when we were a kid in VBS or in Sunday school growing up. But there's nothing about this battle that's cute, Lord. This battle is ferocious and it wages all around us, in our minds, in our hearts, in our workplaces, in our households, in our marriages, God, I pray, Lord, that we would stand strong, that we would put on Christ, that the world would see Jesus in us and on the outside of us. And we pray that your church would truly be undefeated. 
that we wouldn't just put on pieces of the armor, but every day we wake up that we would get dressed with the full armor of God. Thank you so much for these spiritual blessings we have, that we have, we have salvation, we have truth, we have the word of God, we have the gospel of peace, we have righteousness. Lord, thank you for these spiritual blessings you've given us. We pray that we would not take them lightly. We pray that we would not waste them, but we pray that we would live by them as we are dressed with them daily. God, thank you for the victory. Thank you that you sit on the throne and thank you that we belong to you because of Jesus Christ, your son. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.